So right now we're going to get into God's word and we are in 2 Peter chapter 1, finishing up the chapter here today. So make your way to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be picking it up here in verse 12. Now there were two middle-aged couples who were enjoying a friendly conversation when one of the men asked the other, Hey Fred, how was that memory clinic you went to last month? Oh, outstanding, Fred replied. They taught us all the latest psychological techniques like visualization, association, and so on. It was great. I haven't had a problem with my memory since. Sounds like something I could use. What was the name of that clinic? And Fred just went blank. He's like, oh no. He thought, he thought, but he couldn't remember. Then a smile broke out upon his face and he asked, oh, what do you call that flower with the long stem and the thorns on it? His friend said, oh, you mean a rose? He goes, yeah, that's it. So he turned to his wife and he said, Rose, what was the name of that memory clinic? <clears throat> Listen, I'm sure we can all struggle at times with remembering. Amen? Can I get anybody here with me on that one? Remembering can be something that can become very elusive for us. And I think Peter recognized that very well because in our text today, he opens up telling his readers that he desires to remind them. In fact, it's going to be something he's going to repeat three times just in these opening verses that he's writing these things to remind them. Here's what we're going to be looking at as we go through this chapter here today. We're going to see the revelation to the apostle of God, which is Peter here in verses 12 to 15. We're going to see the testimony of the son of God in verses 16 to 18 and the inspiration of the word of God. But I've titled this message here, regular reminders, as this is so important for us. No matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how many times you've read the word of God, Oh, we need reminders. So Peter says here in verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So Peter's desire in these opening verses is to remind his readers of these things, right? Now, what are these things that he's speaking of? Well, these were the seven characteristics that were that we are to add to our faith remember we talked about those last week now without cheating and going back who can remember what those seven characteristics were without me needing to remind you anybody remember what some of them were add to your faith knowledge Knowledge. perseverance Perseverance. self-control brotherly love brotherly kindness and love Those are good guys. Well done. Those of you at home, I hope you're getting them. All right. But what it reminds us is that we oftentimes need reminders. How many times have we just opened up the word one morning and go off on our day forgetting what we just read, let alone what we studied last week? So Peter desires to remind us. Now, remember what? Go back to 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 5, where we learned of these things, he said there, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, verse 7, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For, notice what he says there in verse 9, or sorry, verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter writes, if these things are yours 
and they bound. So this is what Peter's talking about here in verse 12 now. He says, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you always of these things. These very things that are so essential to our faith, that reveal our faith, that show our faith. These are things that Peter doesn't want his audience to give up on, to forsake or forget. And so he repeats that term, these things, four times in verses 8, verse 9, verse 12, and verse 15. He keeps remembering to, to remind them of these things. Now again, these things don't give you salvation. These are not the things that cause you to be saved, but they certainly reveal that you are saved. See, we're saved to live a different life, a life for God that will demonstrate itself by a Christ-like Life. These are things that should be showing through if Jesus truly has become our Lord and Savior. So Peter doesn't want to neglect or, or be careless in reminding others of these valuable truths. That's what Peter has been instructing or, or has been already instructed to do by Jesus himself. In John 21 verse 15, Peter was instructed to feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. So Peter's looking to do just that in giving them the very things that they need to grow and be healthy. And guess what? Sometimes we eat the same things over and over again. Listen, we don't look at every meal as an opportunity to have something new. If you're coming to the table and thinking, what? I mean, we've got potatoes and and roast beef again? You're going to be going, no way. I'm quite happy to eat that. No problem there. If you think that every meal has to be something new, I mean, it's not going to take long before you're like running out of options here. No, we understand that we're going to do those same things, right? We might have Taco Tuesday every week, but it doesn't mean it's not adding health and strength, right? Maybe Taco Tuesday is the wrong analogy for that. But you still, you go, man, I'm, I'm quite happy to do that, to eat the same things over and over again. And that's kind of what Peter's getting at here. Sometimes repetition is a good thing. Think about athletes. They go through the same repetitive, repetitive drills because coaches know it's establishing the fundamentals of the game. And when a team is struggling, right? What do you often hear them saying? Oh, we got to get back to basics, right? We got to get back to basics. What happened? They began to lose focus. They got lazy or they got distracted. And now they need to regroup and get back on track with the fundamentals, and be reminded of what got them there in the first place. That's the key here. That's what Peter's doing. He says, though you know and are established in the present truth. Peter knew that they've already arrived in a sense that they know this truth and this faith. Peter knew that this wasn't anything new to them, but he also knew that they needed to keep being reminded and stirred up in these things keep holding on to the basic tenets of faith keep building on that faith and keep growing in the lord it's it's amazing how often i talk to believers or or, you know professed believers who just don't have a concept of the simplicity of the gospel and how they need to be reminded how we need to be reminded of the gospel daily the simple reality that jesus the son of god came to die on a cross to forgive us of our sin to pay the penalty for our sins he died and he rose again securing life for us and our life comes 
through faith in Jesus. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. Simple as that. And how we need to be reminded continuously because we can get off track. We can get derailed so easy and begin to think, I got to earn this. I got to work for it. No, we need to keep being reminded in the simplicity of the gospel. And it'll boggle your mind to, to, to realize the many that just don't have a simple grasp of the gospel. So Peter's looking to remind them. He says in verse 13, Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. I used to think, you know, I've really got to come up with some new things each message. But now after teaching the word of God for, you know, over a couple decades now, I've come to realize that we all benefit when we keep stirring one another up in the things that we know. We need reminders. So basically now, I just have like about four to five messages that I just keep recycling and just fit it to the text. It works out quite well. And you're all like, you forget what happened last week, let alone three weeks ago. So I'm like, by the fourth week, you're all like, boy, that was an amazing message. I'm like, yeah, I preached it like a hundred times, so it should be good. But, but, but Peter realized, Peter realized that it's so good to hear people responding to the message. I tell you, it's great. Oh, but Peter realized the need to stir up people in the things they already know to be sure that it's fresh and that it's remaining in front of them. Remember, Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It's a safe thing to do. It's a wise thing to do. Because we need to keep allowing these things to get cemented into our hearts. So Peter looks at this as a very important opportunity and need to continue to do as long as he has that opportunity. And he's aware that this opportunity isn't going to be around much longer. Look at what he says in verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, in these last two verses, Peter's mentioned his tent. His tent, what what is he talking about? Is this Peter looking to go on some camping trip? What's going on here? Now, in speaking of his tent, Peter is making reference to his own physical earthly body. Now, what comes to mind when you think of a tent? Now, for me, growing up in the 70s, going out camping, you would pull out that old rustic canvas tent, right? And these tents were very unreliable. They leaked. They got more smelly with age. They weren't a permanent dwelling. And you begin to see the parallels now when you compare our own earthly bodies to a tent. They can begin to get very leaky, very smelly, very unreliable, right? Amen? You know it. You know it. You're like, man, that is such a wise analogy comparing us to a tent. Paul himself used that analogy when speaking of his own body. And Paul worked as a tent maker. So he knew very clearly the similarities. And so Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 to 5, for we know that if our earthly tent or our earthly house, this tent, he says, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who is also or also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. 
So I, I love the idea of thinking of our physical body as a tent. Because it reminds us that this is not our true, permanent dwelling. It's temporary, my friends. This body that we have, all the things that we invest into it, is temporary. It's not meant to be our permanent dwelling. This whole time on earth, then, is like one big camping trip, right? See, when you go camping, it's fun for a time. But you know that you start looking forward to getting home when you can have a decent shower, sleep in a comfortable bed, cook a, a normal dinner properly, right? I mean, it might take a couple weeks before you start to feel that. Sometimes it's after the first day. You're like going, yeah, I can't wait to go. But you continue on because you know, this is temporary. It's just for a time. I have something to look forward to. Camping is adventurous and you enjoy it, but you can handle it because you know it's temporary. That tent isn't going to be a permanent fixture for you. Right? And that's such a healthy perspective to have on this life. It's one big adventure right now and we'll find it even more enjoyable and find more enjoyment in it when we realize that this isn't what it's all about. This isn't what we're living for, the things that we see around us. We're just like pilgrims passing through. We're sojourners living in tents right now, knowing that we're just here for a time. And in light of eternity, it's a very short time. We may have our tent set up for a bit, but we're living for and awaiting our future home, as Paul says, a building from God, eternal in the heavens. Oh, I'm so glad for that. My friends, we need to have that perspective and that view of eternity in this life that we live. And as we do, we realize our time is short. Now's the time that I want to be living for the Lord, being a witness of the Lord. I love the, the book that, that Mark Cahill wrote. He says, one thing you can't do in heaven. Well, I forget the title of it. Do you remember the title of it? There's one thing you can't do in heaven, something like that. And it's about witnessing. You understand that this is the only shot we've got here while we're pilgrims, sojourners, camping on this world. It's the only shot we've got to be a witness because we're not going to be doing it in heaven. Now's the time that we need to be living for the Lord, being used of the Lord, not worried about what's going on in this tent or in our camping spot around us because it's just temporary. We're just here for a time. And that's what, what Peter's saying. Oh, I know that I'm going to be laying down this tent very soon. So I want to be all the more sure to stir you up by reminding you. So how did Peter know that his time was short? Knowing that shortly, verse 14, I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. How did he know? Because again, it's what Jesus spoke to him in John 21, verse 18 and 19. When he said, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Look at verse 15 now in our text. Peter says, moreover, I will be careful. I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So again, Peter reveals his concern to continue to see these believers being reminded and stirred up in these things to be living out all these things that add to our faith. 
Remember, coming to Christ is just the starting point. Now we get to live this adventurous life and, and begin to see these things grow and build up so that we can be more Christ-like and be more effective in the world. So Peter wanted to ensure that there'd be these reminders in place even after his death, he says. Even after his death. How's that going to happen? Well, we see Peter writing First and Second Peter, writing these epistles, putting these thoughts down. So that not only Christians in his day, but so that Christians today, like us, can benefit from these things and learn and grow because Peter was sure that he wanted to give us these reminders. That's amazing to think how these things have been preserved. And not only in these epistles, but many believe Mark wrote his gospel through the testimony and personal account of Peter. That's why you don't read as some of the more silly things that Peter did. It was like Peter conveniently left them out there of Mark's gospel. Mark, you don't need to write about that. That wasn't really that important. So these things are left out, which is why it's also the shortest gospel that we have because if you're leaving out some of the bloopers of Peter, right, you're gonna have a lot less material to work with. So we got the shortest book there in the gospel of Mark. But I love that Peter uses this word decease. Typically, that's not a, there's not a whole lot to like about a word like decease. But this word in the Greek is the word exodus. Exodus. And it literally means a departure. A departure. And like the actual exodus, it was a time of liberation and redemption. See, they were being freed from the things that held them back, held them down. And they were moving on to better things, to better life. See, there's no worry or fear in an exodus I should say there's no worry or fear in an exodus for the believer. Rather, it's a, it's a thrill. It's what we're waiting for. It's what we're holding out for, is to be with Jesus when we shall see him as he is. We know that when we die, that's not it. That's not the end. We're just departing from this tent and putting on our new glorified body that's fit for the, the heavens, fit for eternity where we can be with God. That's amazing. So we're just departing from one life and moving on to a better life. How exciting that is. That's what Peter is writing about here in his decease. So we've seen here the, um, we've seen the revelation to the apostle of God and Peter. Now as we move into verse 16, we look at the testimony of the Son of God. Look at verse 16. Peter writes, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, as Peter passes on the importance of these things, he doesn't want his readers to think that this is all just kind of personal opinion or things that he's just sort of making up. Peter isn't following some fairy tale or, or land of unicorns here. He said, we were eyewitnesses of these things. Peter has experienced this power and coming, he says. Or more rightly, you could translate that as the coming in power of Jesus. Peter understood that this isn't just fanciful, made-up sort of things. He's experienced and been an eyewitness of this powerful coming of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus came to this world at his first coming, Peter had the extreme privilege of being with Jesus for those three years of his earthly ministry. Peter was able to see this coming 
in power. Jesus performed miracles and revealed this majesty. John would write in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This glory like no other, we've seen it, we've beheld it. So Peter says, I've seen these things, I've witnessed it, I've been there. This isn't me just kind of exaggerating truths or making up truths. This is the real deal. Now, sadly, we see some today in church that have reverted back to believing cunningly deceived or devised fables. It's right to say deceived, but there are people, modern theologians, have begun to look at things like the Genesis account as just myths and cunningly devised fables they'll say things like you know there wasn't really a a literal adam and eve no this was just a story to illustrate the the plan of humanity they were representatives of all of humanity and and they'll go as far to say that the whole of genesis 1 to chapter 11 is all just allegorical they're just stories that are meant to present a, a truth you know noah's ark that didn't really happen come on now you can't you can't have a whole wide world flood what how, how did it come like they will question the literalness of god's word and they'll make up things as as trying to say they're just fables it's sad to see that people are reverting back to those things but peter says no no, no. we're speaking to you full-on truth and reliable truth as we will see as we continue on here Peter wants his readers to know that this is truth that's to be believed and received because it's all revolving around the one that proclaimed himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. And so Peter goes back to his own experiences and now recalls a very important one that left a real big impression on him. Look at verse 17. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. Isn't that a great way to describe just the, the, the wonder, the glory, the majesty of God, the excellent glory, right? So cool. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 18. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. Oh, sorry, verse 18. I, I skipped to verse 19. And Peter says in verse 18, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with them on the holy mountain. So what's Peter speaking of here? He's speaking of that experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration that we read about in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. It was there that Jesus allowed Peter, John, and James to see this glory, this glory that was always with Jesus but had been concealed by his humanity and jesus allowed this glory now just to be revealed to shine through see when jesus was transfigured that word transfigured is the the greek word metamorpho metamorpho which means that it's where we get our word metamorphosis like a a butterfly that changes from one thing but it's it's something that's taking place from within jesus had this glory all along from within, but now he allowed this to be revealed. There was a metamorphosis that took place. It wasn't something added to him at that moment. It was something that he always had. And the great miracle was that for those three years, he allowed that to be 
veiled in his humanity. So Jesus revealed this very, his very essence, his deity, his glory. And Jesus then stood on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. And there they talked of Jesus' departure, decease, exodus, as Peter already did. It was there that Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus about his departure. And it revealed that there was life to come. Not only in talking about Jesus moving on, but to see Moses and Elijah there, suddenly Peter, James, and John are realizing, oh man, this is legit, this is true. That death does not await those that live for God, that have faith in God. There's life to come. Peter got to witness the reality of eternal life. And he knows that this is not made up fanciful theories. This is the real deal here. Now Peter did get a little caught up in all this and a little starstruck at that moment, right? He didn't know what to say, so he thought, let's build three shelters here. Let's contain this. But it was then as he's speaking that God cut him off and he said, listen, Peter, this is my beloved son. Hear him. See, Peter's mistake was putting Moses and Elijah on the same level, the same plane as Jesus. He's like, let's just, let's contain all this. Let's keep this here. Let's keep this going. And he put them on the same level. That's why God said, no, no, listen, Peter. This is my beloved son. Hear him. He's the one and the only one to follow. You see, Moses comes as a representative of the law, right? And Elijah, a representative of the prophets. All the law and the prophets have spoken, but all the law and the prophets spoke to point to Jesus. Jesus comes now having uh, and fulfilling all that the law and the prophets spoke of. Jesus comes as the fulfillment and the culmination of those things. So God says, hear him. He's the one to look to. And so Peter reminds him that this isn't just his idea. This isn't just an, an encounter or revelation that he had. He says there in, in verse 18, notice again, and we heard. And he says, we were with him. On the holy mountain. In other words, Peter's saying this is an established matter. Because by the witness of two or three, every matter would be established. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 says. It's what Jesus repeated in Matthew 18, verse 16. One witness shall not rise against the man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And so Peter gives now this threefold witness of people Peter, James and John were all there right to, to witness these things and to testify these things but he also gives a threefold witness by giving first of all that testimony is sight in verse 16 he says at the end of verse 16 there um, that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty so there's a testimony of sight there's a testimony of hearing verse 18 and we heard this voice and there's a testimony of physical presence. Also in verse 18, when, when Peter writes, we were with him. So we're eyewitnesses, we saw, we heard him, we, we, we've had this audibly come into our ears, and we were physically there present with him. This isn't something we just heard through other witnesses or seen from afar, we were with him. So there's this threefold witness of people, a threefold witness by these things. See, we have some great, apologetic proofs for the claims of Christ. 
We have the eyewitness accounts of those that saw Jesus and the gospel writers wrote to give an account of him. Many of them died for standing for Jesus. See, not many people would be willing to die if they were just composing some deceptive truth or a lie. Not many people would be willing to go all the way with that. But these writers knew what they spoke was true. What they wrote down was legitimate and they were willing to go through persecution and death for these things. Listen, another great apologetic proof for the claims of Christ is the fulfilled prophecies about him. So we look now, moving from the testimony of the Son of God to look to the inspiration of the word of God. Look at verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So, in saying that we have the prophetic word confirmed, Peter's saying that this word that we have, which to them at the time of Peter writing this was the Old Testament scriptures, but to us it's the whole of the Bible. What Peter's saying, that this word that we have is accurate and reliable. My friends, what we have right here has been proven. It has stood the test of time. It has shown itself to be true and reliable. Peter's not so much saying that his experience at the mountain confirms the word, but rather that the word confirms his experience. Because the whole of the Bible is about pointing to Jesus. This may be rephrased as saying it this way. We have the prophetic word as a sure confirmation. See, the written scriptures are even more trustworthy than the personal experience of the apostle Peter. So too for us, my friends, our experiences must always be backed up by the word of God. I, I, I've heard so many people over the course of my life that are relying upon an experience. How'd you come to know the Lord? Well, I just had this experience and I just got all warm and, and fuzzy and I just knew that God was doing something. And their salvation is kind of based on, on this sort of a thing. But you see, our experiences must always connect to the word of God and be backed up by the word of God because we have the more sure confirmation through the word of God. That's to be the, the basis. That's to be the, the, the measuring line here for us. And to see the wonders of the Bible being fulfilled, prophecies spoken centuries before they came to be, and to see them fulfilled precisely and accurately is so amazing. You know, there are over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Bible. The majority of them were fulfilled by the time of his ascension. Professor Peter W. Stoner, who authored Science Speaks, stated that the probability of just eight of those particular prophecies being fulfilled by one person is one in 10 to the 17th power. That means there's a chance of one in 10 with 17 zeros after it, or, or one with 17 zeros after it, I should say. That's the number that I can't even... I, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, this is a huge number. A one with 17 zeros in it. The chance of one person fulfilling just eight of those over 300 prophecies is astronomical. He broke it down this way. If we take one in 10 to the 17th power, silver dollars, 
and lay them on the face of Texas, they'll cover the whole state two feet deep. That's amazing. Professor Stoner went on to consider 48 prophecies and says, we find the chance that any one man fulfilled all 48 prophecies to be one in 10 to the 157th power. That's just getting ridiculous. But you begin to see that for Jesus to come and be a fulfillment of over 300 of these prophecies begins to make you realize, oh my goodness, we're dealing with a supernatural book here. Nostradamus ain't got nothing on that. This is showing itself to be completely true, reliable, and accurate. Oh, I mean, and, and we're going to be we're going to be having um, a presentation coming up soon in church by a brother here, uh, Stephen, that's going to uh, lay out for us just kind of the the wonders and the authority of the Word of God. So. Uh, Steve, get ready, because uh, I know you're going to be up soon here. We haven't set a date yet, but he's got a presentation that I'm looking forward to him sharing here at the church. So it's going to be good uh, just to see just the authority, the accuracy, the wonder of the word of God. And so Peter's reminding them to... Basically what he's saying is because of the accuracy of Scripture and the subject of Scripture, which is all about Jesus... Peter says there, you do well to heed it there. Verse 19, which you do well to heed, to take it in. Because he says it kind of acts like a light in a dark world. Perhaps for you, you've experienced dark times in your own life. And when you've just begun to open up the pages of God's word, it was like a bright light just shining in with comfort or instruction, providing just what you needed in that moment. How the word of God just became so relevant, practical, and, and, and encouraging to you. It's like a dark, or it's like a light shining in a dark time. Psalm 119 verse 105 says that it is like that light, lamp into our, 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 a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. Uh, it just shines and illuminates the way before us. And, and, and Peter says, keep doing this until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So now what is he speaking of when he uses that terminology? That's interesting terminology. Well, perhaps it's a reference to the coming of Jesus. Jesus, after all, is called the bright and morning star in Revelation 22, verse 16. So in other words, until we see him face to face, we keep looking to his word to see him today. Keep remaining in his word and allowing his word to remain in your heart and you will begin to see Jesus continually rising up in your heart, just like that new day. Well, finishing this up here, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, Peter wants this to be very clear. Listen, no scripture is open to a person's own private interpretation. Many have tried today, we call them cults, right? I mean, people try to twist scripture to make it fit what they want it to say. But the Bible is written in a way where it's simple to understand. And it will usually explain itself when we just simply read it in context. Context, context, context. Take it all in context. That's why I love, as a church, just to be able to go through the word, verse by verse, chapter to chapter, because we're, we're going to eliminate a lot of error by taking things out of context. I'll never forget when I was at a church one time. Some of you were there with me going back a number of years, but 
a person started to share at the church about the parable of the sower and the seed, the parable of the soils. And as he explained it, he said, listen, the seed is speaking of your finances. And as you sow your finances, you will reap 30, 60, 100 fold. I just want to stand up and shout out, listen, my friend, will you just keep reading a few more verses? Because as you read a few more verses, Jesus himself says, the seed is the word. It's the word of God. And yet people have twisted things around and try to fit it to their own interpretation. Scripture's not meant to be twisted around and to say what you want it to say. On the contrary, Scripture has been given to men by the Holy Spirit. Many people argue that the Bible was just written by a bunch of men. To which I say, yeah, it was. But they were led along by the Holy Spirit. They were, they were instructed by the Holy Spirit what to write. See, these authors of God's word weren't, weren't being led along by their own motives or agendas. Remember, people were treated harshly for their testimony oftentimes. Being a writer of God's word at the time didn't put you on a you know, big book signing promotional tour, right? This wasn't something that, that elevated you more. In fact, it brought more danger being a voice of God. But these people did so because they were led along, directed, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I love that God chose to speak these things through human authors. He could have just, just like the law, just penned it out himself. But he spoke through human authors because it brings, again, that human element now out in the word of God. That, again, causes things to be very practical and relevant. We see stories, illustrations, emotions come through all the while while God was directing them what to say. Every single word here is inspired of God. But we see that, that human element coming out that, that allows us just to, again, see just, uh, again, that connection and, and practicality of it. And the beauty of this is that the same Holy Spirit that moved these writers to write God's word is the same Holy Spirit that is residing in us as believers and who desires to lead you in the word of God. Listen, there's certainly things that we in our own understanding don't understand. I'm sure you've at times picked up the word of God and you're like, what in the world is that saying? What is that talking about? But as you pray, seek the Holy Spirit, suddenly the Holy Spirit just begins to bring this illumination to your heart. The very one that authored the word of God is residing in you to lead you in the truth of the word of God. And to allow these things to stand out and to speak to your own heart. Keep reminding yourself of these things and rely upon the Holy Spirit to continue to guide you into all truth. We have a great word here that speaks of Jesus Christ. We've seen his testimony that that Peter wants to be an eyewitness of so that we can continue to look to him and see that there's purpose here today in living for him, in living these lives that glorify God, in being reminded of these things that add to our faith, that grow our faith, that cause us to be effective witnesses as long as we are on this camping trip here, in these tents, living in this world as we're passing through, awaiting our future home. Let's keep reminding ourselves, building on this faith, looking at Jesus, and being led along by the word of God here.
All right, let's pray. Worship team, come on up. And we'll close with time of worship here today. So Lord, we do thank you, God, for who you are, for sending your son to this world, to die on a cross, to forgive us of our sin, to give us life. And you've given us the very word of God now that we can hold on to and cherish, to know you more, God, to to be pointed more to Jesus. And I pray that we will consistently be reminding ourselves of these things. That we would be growing, living them out, being effective in this world that we live in. Just continue to lead us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and enable us to be led of your spirit, guided into all truth here today. Amen. And if you're listening, whether it be now live or later on down the road, if you're listening here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it might sound weird to you to think of it that way, but but we've been created by God to be in relationship with God. And that relationship was, was broken because of sin, sin that we've all committed. Every single one of us is guilty before God. But that's why he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to forgive you of your sin. He took the very punishment and judgment of God that we deserve so that you could be spared from it. He died and he rose again to secure eternal life for every one of us. But what we need to do is simply put our faith in Jesus. It's not through your works. It's not through doing good things that you're right with God. It's through Jesus Christ and your faith in him. It's putting your trust in him to be your savior and nothing else. If you haven't done that here today, I encourage you, look to Jesus. Put your trust in him. He loves you. He died for you. He's alive and he wants to secure everlasting life for you. Look to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and experience the life that he has for you. All right? Let's stand together here and let's just close in a time of response to the Lord. And um, listen, if, if, if we can pray for anyone here today, we've got a couple of our elders here and, and they'll make themselves available to pray for you. They'll do so at a distance if you request. That's all good. But uh, if we can pray for you in this time, we'd love to do so. We can do that right up here in the front or on the side or in the back there. And so just let this be a time to just seek the Lord here as we continue on here.